Hi, everybody. You're listening to the New Dayton Podcast. I'm your host, Chip James, and I'm setting out to shine a light on some of the amazing things happening in and around our great city. On the podcast, you'll hear from exciting people who see Dayton as a city of opportunity and are taking an active role in creating a new Dayton where small businesses and individuals can thrive. Thanks so much for joining me. Let's get to today's episode. One of the things that I love to do when I'm at home, especially on the weekends, is spend time making what I consider to be really good coffee. Uh, For myself, I do a specialty coffee pour over and for my wife, I do a, uh, a latte, and right now it's an oat milk latte that she really, really likes. But it's just like one of those things that can take me a bunch of time in the kitchen, and it turns out to be kind of an art for me. It's almost like cooking. I just really, really enjoy it. And it's probably why I was so excited for this week's episode to sit down with somebody who does coffee at a much higher level than me. One of the things that I loved about recording interviews for this podcast was finding out that so many of our subjects had never done a podcast before. And as I researched the history of of their origination stories, even those weren't all that well um, covered or published. So I feel like the podcast interview is a great chance to get to know the business and get to know the people behind the business. And Brett Barker from Press was one of those examples. He had never done a podcast before. He's admittedly pretty shy about their story. And he was gracious enough to give us a bunch of time. We actually came and invaded Press at the new location. We sat down. We got to see people coming in and ordering coffee and and hear the sounds of the shop, which you'll hear on the podcast. But uh, Brett was gracious enough to give us his time and, and really put some thought into this interview. And we're so excited to share it with you. Talk about the origination story. So back when you first opened, I was a mocha only drinker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> chocolate milk, as I like to call it, warm yeah. chocolate milk. Yeah. Candy. And so I would come in and it wasn't like a passion. Like now I consider coffee, sadly, to be one of my passions. Um, so it's changed. We've grown. Our Good, relationship yeah. has grown. But back then it was like I would come in and get a mocha and like cool place, super cool. And there were whispers about the story. It was like, yeah, this is uh, Brett and Janelle. They're married. They used to work at this other spot and then it shut down or whatever. And they did this tour. I don't know if this is making sense. <laughs> And now they're here. So yeah. is that true? Can you can you tell the origination story a little bit? Sure. Um, so I, I worked at Pachia for the original owner, Glenn Braley, who now owns Spinoza's in Beaver Creek. Okay. Um, so he opened po- uh, a pizza restaurant back in the day with actually the owner of Pizza Factory. Okay. Uh, Bill. In the Oregon District. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, no, I'm sorry. They had a pizza shop outside and then when they split off I think that's he opened, that's what it was Glenn opened Pachia Bill did Pizza Factory or Pizza Factory oh, okay um, so I worked for Glenn Glenn um, allowed me to take over as manager of that spot 
Uh, this was probably 2008, seven, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, I had just moved back from New York City um, on a really short stint out there where I wanted to be a bike messenger and get away and oh, kind cool. of be with my buddies. Like a bunch of us had migrated to New York City. Wow. So we all kind of lived together. From Dayton? And, from Dayton, yeah. Wow. All friends that um, I had met when I was like 19, 20 years old. Um, we all got into cycling around the same time. We all got into bike polo around the same time. Uh, and then we all kind of filtered into Brooklyn uh, over about a six month, one year period. Wow. And we all were bike messengers together. Wow. So when I got there, I was, I was a little hesitant, like it was just so overwhelming. And so we would go to this one coffee shop every day in Brooklyn called Gimme Coffee. Okay. And it, was, it just blew me away, like opened my, my eyes up to the specialty coffee industry. Uh -huh. And so I was like, well, I don't know if this bike messenger thing is gonna work, it's a little scary. It sounds dangerous. It's, looks, yeah, I know terrifying. nothing about it, but as soon as you said it, I was like, yeah, I don't think I could do that. It's terrifying, but <laughs> It was the funnest thing I've ever done. And cool. it was actually so much more safe to ride in New York City than it is in Dayton. <laughs> That's not surprising. Um, so the day that I actually got my messengering job, Gimme Coffee called because I had applied. Mm. I was unsure if I actually wanted to do the bike messenger thing. And they, they offered me a full-time job. Wow. The same day I got a full-time job in Manhattan as a bike messenger. And so I was like immediately like, oh no, what do I do? All right, I came out here to do the cycling thing. I'm not gonna go back into coffee. I had, I had been working at Pachia before then. Right. So I felt a little comfort zone there, but um, did, took the bike messengering, messengering job, asked if I could work like two days a week at Gimme Coffee. So I would close Friday and Saturday night there. I did like that. Yeah, so I did. I did Monday through Friday in the city, half day on Friday. I'd ride back, shower, go to Gimme, and work those two night shifts. Wow. Um, and so I learned so much, like just the environment, the, their approach to coffee, um, their, the way that they roast and the way that they promote like everything they do is, was minimalistic, mm -hmm. really coffee focused. Mm -hmm. And that just, that struck a chord with me. And mm -hmm. not only was the coffee amazing, like the whole vibe, everything about it was so different. And, and it really just opened my eyes. And I decided that New York City wasn't the place for me. It was a little too crowded. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a little more of an introverted person and there was just no privacy whatsoever. Right. Uh, and I was making no money. <laughs> at all. Uh, living with five people, like it was, it was, an, it, it was an adventure. Yeah. Um, but I realized like, I'm gonna go back to Dayton. I really love New York City. I'm starting to hate it a little bit. I don't wanna hate New York City. It's such a, a great place. So right. moved back, had a little coffee experience under my belt. Uh, my manager at the time at Pachia wanted to move and go to Portland, so he offered me the management position. Wow. And at that time, I was just so like enthusiastic about coffee that we were able to fully like revamp the coffee program. I was able to train the staff like how to texturize milk, pour latte art. Our espresso program changed, a little more focused on the quality of everything, clean everything up, try to make things a little more simplistic, mm -hmm. but quality focused. And so that was like the beginning for me was 
of at least like somewhat being like an entrepreneur is like taking over and, and revamping the program. Right. At Pachia. At Pachia. Mm -hmm. Here. So, and I had a staff of like six or seven baristas and they were all like friends of mine before. We were all like, you know, hanging out together as well and they were just all about it. Do you um, think that prior to that, prior to Brett coming back from Brooklyn and New York and introducing texturizing milk and latte art, do you think that was a thing? I personally, I wasn't drinking coffee as much then, so I don't know. I it wasn't at all. It wasn't a thing in Dayton. Not at all. I didn't think so. Not at all. Yeah. The only thing here was Boston Stoker. Mm -hmm. And so Pachia was, was kind of like the only place for like that higher end experience. Yeah. And that, that translated into the whole restaurant too. Like the jazz, it was a jazz club and like a wood-fired pizza restaurant little nicer but right. it, all three of those businesses live together right and it was the it was the spot to go to in the Oregon district yep so then the coffee like me implementing new practices and techniques and revamping and like bringing in higher-end coffee was like welcoming in that environment and people really like took to it because yeah. it was already like the kind of hip spot to go to cool um, so it, it, was, it was accepted with uh, like our clientele and, and the baristas. So we were kind of set apart in that sense in the coffee scene, if there even was one. Right. It was Boston Stoker. Right. Right. Um, so latte art. It was still sort of around the country, maybe it had sort of started to take off. But For in sure. Dayton, if you want to say starting to take off, it hadn't really. Right. It was starting to maybe get some buzz because people would go visit right <laughs> another town be like whoa there's a cool coffee shop yeah but it, you couldn't come home to Dayton and experience it no not not in 2000 this was 2009 mm -hmm. eight or nine eight? forget but yeah so my wife was working at Thai nine okay and I would just see her walking by and you weren't together at this point no no she okay. she had a boyfriend and oh I would see the boyfriend and her walk by and She's with the wrong guy. Right. So one of the other bartenders would come over and he'd just like, you need to talk to this Janelle girl. I'm like, oh, really? I see her out here. He's like, yeah, she doesn't need that guy. He doesn't live here anymore. And I think she's over him. So oh. I was like, cool. I like this person. Yeah. So I went over and brought her some vanilla lattes. That's cool. And just, that was it. That's with the heart it as the art probably. <laughs> yeah, was, there you go. Literally, I brought over three lattes in a hour period because every time I went into the bar was like before they were busy like right. she was off doing something and I really needed that that foam to look perfect yeah right yeah so I think I brought probably three lattes over during that time but the sushi chefs worked. were like I like this guy yeah <laughs> um, oh, it worked funny. though and and we hung out as friends for a little bit until it was like all right this guy needs to you need to change this and yeah and then so as you were starting to turn this idea that would eventually become press coffee bar into a real idea sort of I love the backstory that was exactly what I wanted thank you mm -hmm. so so let's sort of take that to that next step of like right end of 2010 beginning of 2011 it's a real thing yeah. it's happening it's you and Janelle yeah, so actually we're gonna go back 2009, we got married and we moved to Ithaca, New York because okay. I wanted to 
experienced Gimme Coffee, the company that I work for in Brooklyn, their home base is Ithaca, New York. Oh, That's so where they're from. This is the whispering of the story of them traveling that I heard. Right, and the tour aspect of that story is, goes back to before I met my wife and right after I moved back from New York City, before I became a manager, I was asked to do a, a month-long uh, tour management position with a local band. Oh. And we, were, we went out with a really big national act. And I managed that tour for them, okay. which means you drive them in the middle of the night and try to sleep whenever you can. You get stuff for them. You go on coffee runs. You go on booze runs. Whatever right. they need, you right. do. And they were my really good friends. And, and, so, and I love to travel. I've traveled my whole life. I've been all over the country, and, and this was my opportunity to kind of go back to certain places because I, I looked at the schedule and it's like, all right, cool. I'm, I get to go to all these big cities. I get to drive throughout the night. I'll sleep a little bit before the show. I get to go to the cities and find the cafes. Yeah. So I was able to go to, you know, 30, 20 to 30 cities and see what their coffee scene was going, Absolutely. was happening. Yeah. And this was 2009, eight. Seven, eight, about. Cities that were probably a little bit ahead of Dayton. Oh, on totally. That curve. Totally. Yeah. And especially cool when I when we were in New York City, when we were in Portland, um, San Fran, so Seattle. Big yeah, you went to big cities. Big cities. Yeah. yeah Chicago. Like it was, it was really neat to be able to do that. So that I think maybe where some of the story comes of okay. they went on a tour or whatever. Right. But I did. I yeah, toured, sure. the, toured the country and found coffee. Yeah, it was sold to me like you know, toured the world is what I was told. <laughs> yeah, it always, and, it always blows yeah, up, you know. And, and researched specialty coffee yeah. and then came back and launched press yeah. and with all this, this knowledge. So yeah. partially true. Partially true. You know, I, when I was working at Pacia after New York City, I would enter myself into competitions as much as I could. Oh, cool. Um, mainly latte art competitions. Mm -hmm. And so there's a trade show that happens every year called Coffee Fest. And I would go, and they would have a latte art competition. So I would go and compete. And I did really well in a few of them. And I got to meet a lot of like really great coffee people. Cool. And kind of got our name out a little bit, at least my name out a little bit, and making friends in the industry that way. Yeah. And so that ended up helping me out so much when it came to opening our own shop in that I had, I had companies and friends in the companies that I could talk to about equipment mm -hmm. and learn equipment mm -hmm. and learn like what is exactly the right piece of equipment for the program that we want to have. Cool. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a lot of... That you know, it wasn't a big tour, but it was a, a lot yeah. of little stuff. I put myself out there to kind of gain experience in and going to Ithaca, working for Gimme Coffee right after Janelle and I got married was the, was the big piece. Mm -hmm. that, that was our last piece um, before I felt confident enough cool. to open to our launch. own spot. And managing was a huge part of that. I really wanted to get into roasting. But that didn't happen in the time frame I wanted it to before we opened, but which was fine because sort of focus I would on not, the opening. Yeah, and I wouldn't have been able to open roast a roastery and a and a coffee bar at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and I had all the experience in running a cafe and and being a barista, and mm -hmm. so that was I felt really confident in starting out that way, and that's what we did for 
about two or three years was serve other people's coffee yeah. until I with Woodboro started. Yeah, well, yeah I want to talk about Woodboro. Wood so talk about Woodboro. I, I think a lot of people, well, like I said, press is a household name. Uh, I have a, a bag of Woodboro beans in my house, thanks to Katie. Um, but talk about that, like, you know, when did it sort of become, I wanna, it sounds like it was always in the plans, but roasting, yeah. and then are you selling those outside of Dayton? Just sort of, let's give that a little bit of a plug. Sure, yeah, so I always wanted to roast. That was part of the plan, that I wanted to create a company, a coffee company, hmm. start to finish, as much as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. But I knew that we needed to get some time and some, some experience under our belt and some knowledge um, and some money, some mm -hmm. financial ability to start that. Roasting coffee isn't, one, it isn't the most like financially uh, beneficial aspect um, unless you know that you're gonna have wholesale That's customers right out the gate and that no one really can plan for that. You have right. to build it. And, right. um, so we were able to, actually one day I was working down there and a customer came in and he was a customer that had been there since the beginning. We had talked about, you know, he was a coffee lover and I'd, I would describe to these people that I think got it, like what I want to do in the future. And so he knew that I wanted to roast and he was like, you know, I just found on, on Craigslist uh, a three kilo roaster in Beaver Creek, huh. 15 minutes away that this guy is selling. And he's like, he might, he might want like eight grand for it or something. And you know, I had an idea right. for pricing and like what roasters were gonna cost and what size I wanted about. Um, and so I, I called him that day. Uh, I think he was asking a little bit more than that. And I said, I'll bring you eight grand in cash tomorrow, tonight, whatever. Wow like now <laughs> um, and I did wow and it was a three kilo um, US roaster so it was a US based company um, went out to Beaver Creek my landlord at the time owns uh, Carl's Body Shop we brought a flatbed out there four of us lifted oh. this thing up onto the flatbed and strapped it down and drove it down to oh uh, my gosh to our house where we lived at the time yeah. and put it in the garage. Oh, wow. Um, and I was like doing some sample roasting before that. I had bought just a little sample roaster and was throwing batches in there and just buying small stuff and taking it down to press and making pour overs for people. So, and I had been like home roasting before that, like on a pan with a spoon. And right. so I had a little bit of experience, just small stuff, um, which, you know, really like opened the door for like getting some decent coffees out once yeah. that U.S. roaster showed up, that bigger one. Wow. Um, and then, and I had a really good friend. Our, we were serving Dogwood Coffee Company at the time mm -hmm. from Minneapolis, and they were just so willing to share knowledge and experience and, sh and talk about roasting process and the techniques and science behind it and. Um, still just really great friends of ours cool. and I told them also like hey I'm gonna roast someday 
which means I'm not going to be buying your coffee. Yeah. So, you know, I understand if you don't want to help me figure this out. Right. But such a nice guy and their head roaster, Stephanie, who's such a good friend of ours now. Um, she was, she was actually someone I'd call and text with all the time. Like, Hey, like, what's up with this? How do I do this? Like, yeah. And she would just be so willing to share, share knowledge. A friend of mine owns a organic roasting company down in Florida. And I've never asked the question that I'm going to ask you now. Is it an art? Is it a science? Is it like cooking? It's it's both. It's both. Yeah, absolutely. Um, same with preparation, you know, and I, I try to describe, um, like espresso preparation is really scientific. At least our approach is really scientific and numbers and weights and and I can teach that and you can mimic all these things and produce like a pretty decent espresso. Right. Now when it comes to making milk, that's all like culinary and artistic and feeling and right. you know I can explain to you the science and the concepts, but you gotta kind of like gotta feel it, feel it and learn it and and you're cooking something in twenty seconds. And that can make or break someone's experience. Right. So, and that's an ongoing process. You yeah. know, it's these. We can all look at a recipe, look at weights and numbers, and and make a good shot. Sure. Make a a good cup, a good pour, or whatever. But right. Yeah, the technique and the art that goes into making milk is is challenging, and and I describe roasting in that way too. That we can follow profiles, we can follow numbers, right. and we can adjust our flame or our airflow or our weights. We can follow processes and mm-hmm. produce decent coffee, but utilizing your senses right. and your intuitions and what you want that coffee to do after it's out of the roaster right. is super important. Um, and so I'm, I've always just been really like, obsessive in, in the things that I get into and, and do, and I really want to be the best at it that I can be, but I also try to be really realistic. Yeah. And, and I know that coffee is so subjective. Yeah. Yeah, and I asked Janelle one time, I don't know, a year or two ago, I'm like, so I make my wife a latte or a cortado every day at home, sometimes twice a day. She'll drink full-blown espresso at 10 p.m. Mind, and she'll be asleep 30 minutes later. Wow. It yeah. blows my mind. Maybe I'm doing something wrong, but I'm like, I'm really struggling with getting past just the basic heart on top. Yeah. What am I doing wrong? And she's like, eh, you're probably messing up the milk. You're either overdoing it or underdoing it. Like, <laughs> that was sort of my intro to, oh, it's like there's an art, there's a feeling yeah. to that. I can't just do it until the temperature's right. Right. So it's interesting that you say that. Right. Um, so with roasting, I was able to get that smaller, or it was actually much larger roaster for me at the time. Uh, I was able to get about two pound batches out per, per oh. roast. Um, and then I just slowly started to take over um, the multi-roaster program that we had at the time where we were serving Intelligentsia and Dogwood Coffee, and then we would, those were our mainstays, Counterculture Coffee also. Those were our mainstays, like espresso, Mm -hmm. um, bulk brew coffee, cold brew coffee. And then we were able to, we would find a roaster, small, big, whatever we wanted, and feature them for about a month, 
or a little bit longer in retail and pour overs. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we'd have a featured espresso. Um, so I would just, when I started roasting, I just started chipping away at that. That's what I was going to say. Implementing you... myself as yeah. a feature, as a feature, or as just another roaster. I remember that. I mean, yeah. I remember being like, "Oh, what's this new stuff?" Yeah. Um, and it probably wasn't very good, but <laughs> I, I think a lot of people in Dayton just don't know. Okay. Why do you say it wasn't good? Just because you were learning? Um, people tell me that. Okay. <laughs> people tell me, man, your coffee is so much better now. Oh, okay. Or back in the day, you know, it was, it was a little rough. I'm like, yeah, I know. but. You didn't know anything, and he didn't, no one knew anything, so it was awesome. Right. And now that it's there's cool. all coffee all over the place, yeah. you know, I, I'm just really grateful that we're, we're still doing really well, and I believe that at any one moment, my coffee is the best. Cool. To me. Do you serve all your own stuff now? Oh, yeah. Present yeah. day. So at, both yeah. locations, Yep. it's all Woodbrawl. Yep. Cool. Yeah. So that so, has to be a little bit like of a dream come true. Absolutely. And it happened way quicker than I thought it would. Awesome. Way quicker. You know, fast forward, if you will, to 2019. You guys are a household name, right? And so many people who don't even go to press are like when their friends come to town, say, oh, you got to go to press, right? Because we want to impress them. We want them to feel yeah. like we have cool stuff too. Yeah. So when our friends come in from Portland or from LA or wherever, it's like, oh, we take them to press. Yeah. And I really think you guys were the first, other than maybe some restaurants in the Oregon district, but mm -hmm. certainly with specialty coffee, you were the first to sort of create a vibe where I could have done a road trip to some cool city like Nashville or whatever gotten out of my car and walked in and been like, oh yeah, this yeah. place fits. Yeah. Press, in my opinion, and I tell people this all the time, was the first one that was like, oh, it's, it makes us seem cooler. Us, meaning Dayton. <laughs> yeah, Dayton. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool spot that would still be cool if it was in a cool city. Yeah. So I love that about like that you guys, that's what's so impressive that you guys took that step in your 20s. Like, I'm 38 almost, and I'm scared to do it. Yeah. And so it's, it's just really cool. Thank you. It, it was scary, and it's, it still is scary, but at, there was a point where I realized that I just I couldn't keep working for someone else. And I, and I really wanted to stay in Dayton. Um, and that was a tough decision for us to make before we opened, and it, were, it really was, we're going to move to Seattle or Portland uh. or stay open our own shop so i want to i really want to hit that that piece right because part of the podcast is like how is dayton the city how has it played a role or how does it play a role sure. what what role does it play in your success or just not even success i don't even mean like as business or financial just like you're doing what you love to do yeah how has dayton played into that i know it's a tough answer but um so, no i i i describe this a lot um, especially in our, when I travel and I talk about our city, um, I use the funny like term of big fish in a little pond. Mm -hmm. And there's something that I really value about that concept. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you mentioned it earlier that we have the ability to create exactly what we want. Right. And um, 
that was really important to me, like considering that, knowing that Dayton is such a blank canvas still. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, back in 2011, it was, it was a dark void. Yeah. yeah. But still, I, I knew that we could create a culture yeah. here that I see happening. So what makes Daytonians any different than right. any other people in any other city? Exactly. You right? have people all the time who say, Dayton needs right. blank. Right. And in 2008, 9, 10, it was, we need a cool ass coffee shop. Yeah. There's, there's two ways to look at the Dayton gives you an opportunity thing, right? There's, there's a skeptic or a pessimist who would look at it and say, well, yeah, you can do it in Dayton because Dayton doesn't have anything or Dayton's yeah, void of works. fun things or cool things. Right. Or you can look at it like we're sort of trying to look at it like it's a city of opportunity. For sure. It's a city of potential. Absolutely. And it allows people that have a dream that, not yep. to sound corny, but people that have a, a small business idea yeah. to launch it. Yeah. No, and I literally have dreams about it. That's awesome. Like, and I, I try to listen to those mm -hmm. dreams and thoughts and the imagery that I, that I have ab about our business. I'm obsessed with it. And I always, I was, since like the time when I realized like specialty coffee is a thing and it's something that I can get into as like a career mm -hmm. or, you know, I can really put myself, my heart and soul into this business and we'll see what happens with it. But when I realized it was something that I could do for ourselves, that, oh, I'm managing this place and I'm doing all the ordering, I see where the money's going, I'm, you know, I'm in charge of literally everything, and my owner is telling me I can't buy this piece of equipment, I shouldn't uh, make this recipe. I, you know, mm -hmm. it, was, it was a lot of like, no, you can't do that, that right. just lit the fire. And, Interesting. And so when I realized that I could like it's not out of this world to think that we can do anything. Right. And for me, it was, it was somewhat attainable. As long as I put myself in the right positions to learn and gain experience. That was huge for me. The, the podcast is titled New Dayton. It's super clever, but basically, <laughs> I'm sort of taking the approach of every time people talk about Dayton and the heyday of Dayton, it is. They talk about the heyday and they talk about friggin' the Wright Brothers or NCR or yeah. things that aren't here anymore and, oh, yeah. and contributing to what makes Dayton cool or, or vibrant today. Mm -hmm. And I, not blowing smoke, I truly look at press as like a pillar of the community and a trendsetter and a household name. And I know you don't have your story out there a lot. And so I do really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Like, I think people will love to hear from you. I appreciate that. Like I said, I'm, I'm a bit of an introvert and I sometimes feel like talking about myself or what we've done, our story is like a little bit of boasting and bragging and I, I really, yeah. I, I don't want to listen to someone that's like that and so I'm always really mm -hmm. like cautious and hesitant to, to talk about myself too much. But people have told me that I should. Yeah. People have told me that you should, like you should treat yourself, your person, as like a face for the company and market yourself. And I'm like, nope. Yeah, I've nope, never seen you do I'm that. I'm good on that. <laughs> you don't see me on the social media never very much. Never seen you do like, that. I really enjoy like doing what I do behind, not necessarily behind the scenes because I'm out here sure. and doing it, but. 
I just don't like to talk about myself so yeah. much. Well, my hope is that someone listens to this and maybe they're in their late teens or 20s or mid 20s or shoot, in their 30s, and they hear a story about somebody who just kind of went for it. Yeah. And who's not humble bragging or bragging at all. They're just saying it's, it's so far, it's working out pretty good. Yeah. And it's allowing you to do what you love, what you dreamt about, and, and not as someone's employee. And hopefully they hear that and go, I'm doing it. Right. So thank you for doing that. We need more people doing stuff. And, and it really was that, that mentality of going for it. Yeah. With the amount of money that we had and what we were working with, it was a close your eyes and jump in wow. kind of thing. But man, we're all so happy and content and they're so much fun. And mm -hmm. we've done this thing in Dayton and, and it's, we've gotten recognized like across the world. Yeah. I've been in like the New York Times twice. I've been in multiple magazines that are internationally. Food and Wine Magazine, and wine. best coffee in the state of Ohio. Yeah, like all these crazy things because we have, We've unwavered in our focus on quality and just being, just been ourselves. Yeah, that's great. It's admirable. Thank you. Well, thank you so much again. Yeah. Thank you so much for checking out today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation, share it with your friends. Uh, take a screenshot on your phone, post it on Instagram to your story or to your feed. Post a shot on Facebook. Please help us spread the word about New Dayton. You can also subscribe to the podcast. You can leave us a review. And I want to give a special thank you to Katie Matthews for producing and editing the podcast. And a thank you and a shout out to John Waldron, who created all of the music for the podcast. Also, last thing, if you have a guest recommendation, please connect with me on Instagram chip underscore james or email me at chipjames at gmail.com oh and one last last thing check out the website choosingdayton.com forward slash new date thanks again